city streets and the quiet town boulevards. The scene of the crime is the focal point of every investigation. Here, you've joined the team on a thread of evidence where your mind will be open to the exciting science of forensic investigations. Dr. Ron is a nationally renowned forensic criminologist who leads the nation's finest forensic death investigations team. Your host, Dr. Ron Martinelli, will lead this investigation. Synthetic identity fraud is a crime in which the perpetrators generally combine real and or fictitious identifying information, such as social security numbers and names to create new identities, and then once that's formed, they defraud financial institutions, government agencies, or individuals. This is a serious crime. You know, the United States Department of Justice reported that synthetic identities derived from stolen Social Security numbers is one of the fastest growing forms of identity theft in the United States. And who better to discuss this than a financial and forensic fraud investigator? And I welcome to the show Mark Kasich on a thread of evidence. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Very good, uh, Dr. Ron. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm very honored to be your guest tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, this seems like a fascinating subject to talk about. You know, I was a fraud investigator for my last couple of bureau, uh, years in the Bureau of Investigation at San Jose Police Department, and that was years ago. And I'll tell you the truth, uh, I had never heard about synthetic identity fraud, and I'd just like you to tell us all about it. Well, it's a, at epidemic proportions, you know, and I, I don't cry wolf or, or scream loud or, or make any type of false claims out here, Dr. Ron. But in regards to synthetic identity fraud, it's a crime where the perpetrators generally combine real and or fictitious identifying informations, such as social security numbers, names, addresses, dates of birth, to create new identities with which they defraud financial institutions, governmental agencies, or individuals. Now, this kind of looks like, to me, uh, sort of a high-level crime, a lot of different moving parts and players. A am I right in that direction? Absolutely. Uh, we've uncovered, in my 18-plus years of forensic investigations, uh, this type of crime of use, utilizing synthetic identities has emerged in the last 12 to 14 years, so the early 2000s, and it's definitely involved with criminal enterprise. There is no doubt about that. It, it starts off with the organized retail crime enterprises, goes into the next part of organized crime activity, which could also involve other types of criminal activity, such as, but not limited to, drug cartels, uh, fencing of stolen property, uh, stolen vehicles, stolen big ticket items like TVs, uh, appliances, a truck full of documents and all kinds of information coming forward from there. Hey, Mark, let me ask you yeah. this question. What's the difference between a person having a false identity, in other words, somebody just making up a name and maybe making up a date of birth, and a synthetic identity? Well, the synthetic identity, Dr. Ron, has some real and 
truthful information. And I'm so glad you asked the question because it's a great segue in regards to real people. I have found in my investigations, the real person is now purchasing a compromised social security number. Typically now, these are from young adults, infants, toddlers, uh, individuals under the age of 18. They use all their demographics and then they have the brand new social security number as they have been uh, proposed by the, I'll call it the fraud supplier, uh, as a new lease on life for their credit activity for the consumer. And then number two, the organized retail crime activity folks get involved with credit obtaining mules out there, front buyers, straw buyers, and people that come in to use false information in order to get, to get large ticket items. Wow. You know what I'm learning from you and everything you're telling me is brand new. So I find this conversation exciting, but, uh, you, you use, uh, you've got your own uh, jargon. You've got your own language, uh, in this part of the forensic fraud community, right? You're talking yeah. about straw buyers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the things like that. So can you, can you sort of explain what these different terms mean? So as we move through, uh, this crime scene, our uh, our uh, audience and our you know crime scene investigators on a thread of evidence can kind of follow along and connect the dots. Okay, great. Well, let me take you through a scenario that I have found that will define each and all of the participants that have been involved that I have seen. So here we are. The uh, credit cleanup firms out there. Now, many of them. Don't get me wrong. There are fantastic firms that assist a particular uh, citizen in order to clean up their credit bureau uh, and, and make sure that they're utilizing all the legal tools available in order to raise their credit score so they can apply for mortgage loans, car loans, high ticket items, get large dollar credit limit credit cards. But on the other end, these credit cleanup, now I'll call them scam artists, called the fraud facilitators out there, will come out to the folks in their local neighborhoods and their friends and contacts and begin marketing their wares. And what I mean by that, Dr. Ron, is that they'll actually advertise to the client that says, hey, a new lease on life for you, John or Mary or Sally, William, I'll raise your credit score but you can use this new social security number because I'm authorized to provide this to you for a just a measly fifteen hundred dollars. Now and they, they don't, I'm yeah. sure, Mark, that they don't put up a sign and say, mm -hmm. "Hey, you know, I've I've got synthetic identities for sale." Mm -hmm. uh, is this all underground? It's very deep and dark to a certain extent until I'll tell you another couple cases as we're moving forward here in regards to how this came right out in front of me because you never learn information as a forensic investigator unless you ask for it. So this is deep and dark to, to right at the beginning, but then once the person gets a little greedy out there, the fraudster that's providing these social security numbers and synthetic identities, they start getting a little bit loose and footloose and fancy free. And what we found that were their biggest slip up, and, and all the fraud artists know about this already, so I'm not telling anybody anything new uh, in regards to the renting of 
authorized user accounts. That's a huge issue in the synthetic identity world. Explain that to us because that sounds interesting. Yeah, the the, uh, authorized uh, user accounts bolsters the credit score. So let's say a person who comes in and says, hey, uh, Mr. Fraudster, he doesn't he or she doesn't call them that, but hey, John or Mary, my my uh, credit firm here, can you help me? You just did my taxes. I need to get a car. What can I do? You know, he says, hey, I'm going to get you the social security number that is clean, has never been used before, but we're going to embellish it with additional trade lines, uh, user accounts, authorized user accounts, where it appears that this person has been utilizing these accounts for X amount of years when, in fact, they just came into their own world to provide in regards to this new credit profile that just was developed. And also what has happened is that the uh, fraudster out there will also open additional low credit limit credit cards and i won't mention the financial institutions because they know who they are because we've talked to them in the past with our consortiums of fraud investigators across the united states all 50 states by the way are involved with this dr ron okay mark can i just interrupt for a second Yeah, Uh, is this is this something that's happening just in the united states or is this sort of an international cabal you know it's it's more or less in the United States because of the Social Security number. Okay, so that is the, the huge key, issue, right? That's the, the, the key. Yeah, no. we have a sin up in Canada, a social insurance number. People who apply for high ticket items in Canada, we've got businesses up there, and I've done a lot of investigations up in in the provinces. They have to appear in person and identify themselves. Okay, Mark, I've got one more question, and I'm just going to let you, you know, go forth. Uh, yeah. d- okay, now we're talking about the new credit card. I'm, I'm sorry, new new uh, Social Security number. Yep. But can the people use their own names, or do they also have to have a false identity to go with the credit card number? They do that sometimes. But you know what has happened in the past They've gotten a lot slicker and a lot more knowledge because they do research as well. This is what they do for a living uh, is to perpetrate fraud and to not pay for loans out there. So here's the deal. They'll use real information like a name, a date of birth. Absolutely, that's attached to the client, but then utilize that new Social Security number. So what happens over a period of time, I want to say at least six months of history with the authorized user accounts as well as the new accounts that get opened up using that social security number under that client's name now that person's attached to that particular uh, social security number address date of birth place of employment that becomes their new social security number okay so i've got okay so We've got John Smith, and uh, he wants to clean up his credit, but he wants to get a car because yep. uh, he's had bad credit. So he goes to the distributor, and they provide him with a synthetic identity. Can you take us through the steps as this person perpetrates uh, the fraud and how it grows? Absolutely. Typically, my research, and by the way, my consultants also have conducted research with me for MGK uh, Forensic Consultants and Investigations. We have gone through the whole myriad of modus operandi. We really want to know what's going on because I need to get some root causes back up to the front. So what happens is an insider from a healthcare organization, 
maybe the, even a governmental agency that have access to large amounts of information, maybe an HR department. You've heard, you've heard these things in the news where folks have gotten their information compromised. Even governmental agents have gotten their information, their personal information, their non-public and personal information compromised. So an internal thief will go in there and sell this on the black market to the fraud distributor. The fraud distributor then receives their customized order as, you know, this credit firm, uh, scam firm in this this case, receives the order from the client saying, hey, I need a new social security number. I want to get some authorized loan accounts already attached and credit card accounts already attached. What can we do? So they start creating that particular profile. The client then gets the package, got the authorized user accounts, has small low level limit credit card account available to him or her, and then they open up additional accounts and they start making payments 30, 60 days. And and there's sometimes a gap in there, but then within that Eighth month, they begin buying big ticket items. Okay, so, and they, so, first, yeah. so, so they lay down a foundation by yep. actually, okay, they're taking out loans for certain things, maybe a TV or, or something that cost a few right. hundred bucks, and they're mm-hmm. actually making real payments to establish some sort of positive credit line. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. So this particular credit profile is now becoming seasoned as little time as it takes, because now keep in mind those authorized credit trade lines that have been attached by the fraud distributor from the beginning continue to perform. Everything is rolling well. We've got a pretty fantastic credit score that may get a good price out there for a buyer. So the next step is for that person to go out there and get, let's say, that car loan for that particular vehicle of their dreams. And they might put a little bit of money down. They may put hardly no money down. They don't care about the interest rate. They don't really care that much about warranty. They'll, they'll take everything to make it look really good. And then they'll go forward and make a couple of payments on that car loan while keeping those other accounts active and current as well. And then within about four months, as we call it, in the early payment default range, bad things start to happen. And what happens there, uh, Dr. Ron, is during the early payment default activity, they credit bust out all their other credit cards attached to this particular credit profile. They take all the money. And and by the way, uh, we've had fraudsters, and I'll tell you about a case maybe in the upcoming segment, but we have some issues out there right in front of us where folks have grabbed information busted out, which means they maximized all the credit, and then at the same time applied for another credit profile from that same fraud distributor to get a new social security number attached to their information. Because keep in mind, they don't want to be arrested for having false identification for these high-ticket item loans. So they'll have their driver's license with all their current information nobody sees social security numbers anymore i don't know if you recall dr ron maybe in our day 
there was social security numbers attached onto driver's licenses. They were right oh, there. You yeah, could, I, could I, see I, them. I can remember as a police officer and Ooh. I, and, and not in California, you know, when I was a cop there, but I would, uh, you know, stop motorists that were coming from out of state. I think a great example, I think was Nevada, our, our next state next to California. And I think they had their social security numbers attached to the driver's license. And I remember Texas as well. Well, that's all changed all the way across the United States, probably because of exactly what you're talking about. So now we have the guy with not only one synthetic identity, but now he's branched off into two? Absolutely. Sometimes in even three, four, five. It's kind of like it's unlimited activity. As long as the client can supply the money back to the fraud distributor Everybody is happy-go-lucky and let the good times roll because oftentimes we see then the organized criminal element coming into play here, Dr. Ron, where they actually steal vehicles and they get headed off to the uh, overseas shipments where they end up anywhere and everywhere, high-dollar ticket items. You say a Mercedes-Benz, for example, that's worth $80,000 here. It's worth about maybe $250,000 in another country and many times what we've seen. Yeah, and I've worked a lot of embezzled vehicles in the fraud unit and I knew that they went to like the Middle East or they went over to Mexico. Mm -hmm. They We actually uh, had planted a couple of uh, uh, trackers in some of our cars uh, and uh, found them actually in containers at the San Pedro uh, Container Depot out there. Yes, that's absolutely the case. Uh, and then the continuum of, hey, we, we can just continue to do this because those people in the, in the banks and the finance company, all they want are our numbers. They want their widgets out there. They want their little uh, hash marks saying they're successful in supplying loans to a particular dealership or to a particular auto manufacturer or if it's a captive, for example, from right. a- anywhere, a- any of the major brands in the United States that hey, we have. Or, well, mm-hmm. well, Mark, let's yeah. continue this conversation in our next segment. You're listening to Dr. Ron Martinelli for forensic criminologist and my guest today is forensic fraud investigator mark Kasich on a threat of evidence i'm dr ron martinelli and i'm linda martinelli as former law enforcement officers we know that your life and the lives of those you love and work with can change in an instant when you encounter an active shooter Unfortunately, in today's world of uncertainty, encountering an armed active shooter can have deadly consequences. That's why the key to survival is training and preparedness. And that's why we want to invite our listeners to seriously consider taking our response to active shooter training course. Violence can happen to you anytime and anywhere and when you least expect it. Having a response and survival plan and engaging it can be the difference between life and death for you or a family member. Our response to active shooter courses are customized for the corporate, school, church, restaurant, and small business environment at a reasonable budget that fits your needs. So don't put this life-saving training off because you don't think it will ever happen to you. We call those people victims. Our response to active shooter instructors are all nationally renowned tactical law enforcement experts who will guide you through the life-saving protocols you'll need to survive an active shooter event. So be a victor, not a victim. Go to responsetoactiveshooter.com to learn more today. Remember, that's all one word, 
response to ActiveShooter.com and be safe out there. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Thanks again, uh, Dr. Ron. You know, to illustrate some of the points we were just discussing, I'd like to open up some case scenarios because I feel that many, many times new investigators or even ongoing investigators, prosecutors, FBI agents, Secret Service agents, they all like to hear our war stories, if you will, that actually displays the particular modus operandi that we were talking about. So in regards to a large-scale credit card fraud case that I was working, uh, in regards to the synthetic identities, we had a series of FBI referrals. And we have one-on-one contacts. As they compartmentalize their case, and what I mean by that is they seclude those financial institutions one by one, and they don't really tell what they're talking about to the other banks, but we have specific information that the FBI wants to know from us. So in this particular scenario, we've got like 200 social security numbers that were running through our systems. And lo and behold, here were the synthetic uh, identities being derived from these, with these social security numbers where they attached themselves, each one of them attached themselves to 200 to 400 particular individuals names to one address. So what that told us was we have an organized crime situation going on here where specific addresses were now being earmarked and pegged toward user information, specific addresses. Now, could that be involved with other fraudsters or could it be just maybe vacant properties or vacant lots? The answer is yes, yes, and yes, and even sometimes derived from recently deceased individuals. Keep that in mind. That's interesting. Yes, sir. So we were able to uncover just tons of information, and then we're still working very closely with the FBI all over the United States uh, in regards to these synthetic identities. And as you can imagine, getting also involved in financial crimes and credit card fraud, the Secret Service is also intricately involved with us. Well, I'm familiar with, you know, a lot of people using a certain address as a drop so that when they use the credit cards and the items get delivered there, those items are picked up and, you know, and they're gone as as well as the people. So this is interesting. Yes. You know what? Also, another tangent of this and, you know, everything is there's, there's no cookie cutter approach to this, Dr. Ron. And we're open and and listening to everybody and every anybody who's talking to us. OK, so we learned that a specific professional group of folks, they happen to be college professors out of a large Western United States university that were lending their addresses to the fraudsters and also renting out their authorized 
credit card accounts as well. So they can make some side money. I guess if you want to call it retirement money, uh, maybe wow. they didn't get tenure yet. Who knows? Wow. Now, Mark, was, can, I ask you, can I ask you a question about this? Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt you. That's but, okay. Uh, when, when you're talking about the people that lend out their identities, so don't they know that the fraudster is going to run up their credit and, and purchase a lot of things with that and then they're going to obviously they're going to le- let these professors uh, hold the bag so then what the professors then uh, claim to be victims of fraud how does that work that could happen where we have the fraudsters actually um, making claims of identity theft and getting the whole credit line shut down and no one has to pay anything to any great extent. And the credit card companies move very quickly in this fashion pursuant to regulations that they must comply with. Another piece to this, uh, Dr. Ron, is that folks don't really understand some of the movement of co-conspirators. So when we have a fraud distributor out here that is uh, configuring and making contact with these asset renters, if you will, of these authorized credit card accounts, Mm -hmm. if the client is using that account to those ill-gotten gains and they're making charges against those accounts when they're not supposed to, all craziness can take place with the client. So they follow the rules very closely, and if in fact There's some violations out there, which there have been. There's, number one, either a claim made by that asset owner, the credit card account owner, or it's taken care of in their own fashion, as you can probably imagine, uh, in various other ways. So going forward, as we're talking about issues of concern here, and I'm talking about the multi-state activity, let's talk about a specific issue issue where I always like to know in my forensic investigations I've got to get to the root cause I got to know who that fraudster is it's just me you know in my public sector life being a detective I got to know who did it I want to know who's out there I I got to have names we we both do that uh, Dr. Ron we still do that even in the private sector, as we do our pri- our private practices. Well, I'm interested in in once you've put the habeas grabus on the guy or the gal, <laughs> uh, how that interview process takes place and, and what you learn from all of that. Oh, here's a good case. We had a large situation going forward where our contacts in local law enforcement, this happened to be a state police contact, calls me one day and says, hey, Mark, I got some accounts out here with synthetic identities that are attached to eight of your accounts from this specific dealership that you folks are doing business with at the bank. And so we review more and more activities and more activities going forward. We communicate with the dealer owner who's absolutely cooperative and he's no way, shape or form involved with anything. Okay. So this would be an auto dealership, I would assume, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we've got eight accounts. We turned out we find 88 in total that have synthetic identities being derived from specific indiv- one specific individual, a rogue within that dealership. And the dealer owner was absolutely cooperative, identified that person with us, got in contact with the local police, and now we're identifying the accounts in question by the vehicle VINs. So okay. keep this in mind. So we're talking with the detective sergeant. Right. He comes in, we enter everything into the National Crime Information Computer, NCIC, 
and also the stolen vehicle part of that particular database and amazing things happened within a week. Now, you know, let me just interrupt for a second, yeah. Mark, to just help our audience with, uh, you know, some of the vernacular here. So we're talking about the National Crime Information Center. And for members of our audience, NCIC is a very large computer database, perhaps the largest in the United States that handles uh, criminal uh, records and uh, and data. And so it... Uh, it's uh, NCIC is actually has a lot of uh, sub parts to it. Uh, one is the uh, APS or the automated property system. Uh, one is AFS or the automated firearm system where we're getting firearms uh, information from. But one is SVS and that's the as you said, Mark. That's the stolen vehicle system. And so in SVS. We put a license plate and a vehicle identification number. So I would imagine that in your 88 stolen vehicles, which are actually embezzled stolen vehicles from the different fraudsters, uh, you and the detectives inputted all the VIN numbers or the vehicle identification numbers and the plates into NCIC, which goes all over the United States and our protectorates. So if a police officer was driving down the highway or on a city street and that particular vehicle, the driver of that vehicle, uh, made a, a vehicle uh, infraction or uh, it was, uh, you know, like police uh, departments now have, we, we run vehicles uh, that actually scan all the vehicles around it uh, for stolen and embezzled vehicles and wanted people and then pop it comes up and now we have someone in custody is that where we're going here that's exactly right and right into the next segment of this case scenario dr ron dig this um a gentleman uh, i'll back up a second my investigators as is kind of intermediate and younger in, in their experience level have been saying, hey, we got to do this all by digital. We got to move quickly. And I said, guys, that's fantastic. Let's do that. But let's also do one thing for me. In this particular case, in order for us to get to root cause, I want to talk to some folks. So please reach out to people, leave them messages, leave them our phone numbers. We want to talk with them if that's all possible. And they you know, yeah, okay, okay, we'll do it, Mark, because uh, you may know, you may know more. Investigator, right? <laughs> yeah, job, Mark, so, the old gumshoe. This job is all about talking to people, <laughs> not digitizing things. You, you know? better believe it. So the old gumshoe, that's Mark. Exactly. Yeah, so he's out there. And so we begin to reach out to people and leave messages. And so I get a call back within a day from a gentleman I'll identify as Aaron and he said, hey, Mark, hey, I'm calling you. This is Darren. This is my truck. Here's my license plate. Here's my last six digits of the VIN. Uh, he knew everything. He says, I need my truck back. Why was it taken? This guy's in county jail at the time, Dr. Ron. I get it. So he goes <laughs> forward. motivated. <laughs> and I said, hey, Darren, what social security number did you use for the loan application? Oh, it's the one I bought for $2,500 from my contact, and uh, he said it was going to be good and it was legal to use, and uh, I have a couple other social security numbers as well, but at least I used this one. It was a brand new one, as we were describing earlier in our case scenarios on the process flow. He matched it perfectly. I said, hey, Darren, you know what I need? I need everything about who you got this particular social security number from. 
And lo and behold, he said, no, I can't tell you that. I want my truck back. I know I paid $2,500 for my new social security number. So I referred him to the detective sergeant, and the beat went on from there. I'm sure he discussed with him the the facts of life with regards to the the stolen social security number and the, the various charges associated with that. You know, but we never stop. You know, we never let up. There's always a new day, you know, and, and fraud never takes a holiday or a vacation. Of so about three days later, another person calls us and she makes contact directly with me. says, Mark, I got a problem. I got this loan from this dealership and I, I know it's a bad loan. I use the bad social and I know that. Uh, but my son was arrested in this vehicle of mine and he didn't do anything wrong. He just came back from holiday break, and he doesn't want a record. We don't want a felony on his – and she knew all the terms, by the way. She knew what exactly what it was. I said, so, ma'am, you have to tell me, and I'm going to propose this to you. I want to help you in every way possible. And when I say that, this is not false information. I want to help them as much as possible to get over that hurdle. Sure. So I said to the perpetrator – She's a perpetrator. She identified herself, self-identified. She said, hey, you know what? I'll tell you as much as I know. I said, I want to know everything. I want to know names. I want to know addresses. I want to know phone numbers. I want to know everything about how you got your new credit profile with a social security number. Keeping in mind, her name and date of birth were exactly the same that was on her driver's license. So we continued, and she continued forward and said, I'll send you everything. I wanted everything in writing. Well, she wouldn't write a written statement, but she proceeded to blow out my email, my Outlook inbox, with about 18 emails with pictures of all of the different tweets that were coming back and forth from the fraud distributor to the clients. And here's what he was saying, for example. He was marketing his wares out there. So he was saying, hey, guess what? My name is, and I can get you a new social security number for X amount of dollars. No questions asked. It's live. It's ready to use. Go for it. And for an additional, typically $1,000 to $1,500 more, I can get you seasoned trade lines attached to that particular brand new social security number that is active and useful immediately. And then he proceeded to say, and by the way, when I supply you with the new credit card that will be attached to this particular uh, social security number and profile, uh, I want you to take cash advances after you make some initial charges, make those payments, get all the cash advance available, and I get 30%. Oh, sure. He wanted, as we say in Italian, he wanted to get his beak wet. (laughs) So he got the beak wet. There's no doubt about (laughs) it. And that was the situation. And the the, uh, informant... proceeded to continue telling me as much and all the pictures of who these people were. I had actual pictures. I had phone numbers. That's a treasure trove. Oh, my gosh. And so I called the young lady back, and I thanked her so much for the information. And I said, you know, do you really think that you really legitimately could have used this new Social Security number legally? She says, you know, even though my contact, the fraud distributor, told me it was legal to use, I kind of had a feeling, you know, it was something I needed to clean up my credit. I needed things. I wanted to have some fun. I wanted to have fun, too, in my life. So I proceeded 
to go out fake. And that was a new term that I learned from this particular individual where she said, I know sometimes I can't make payments. I can maybe make a small credit card payment, but I'm not going to be able to make a $700 car loan payment. So I go out fake. No one's going to find me. I'll, I'll hide the vehicle. I'll use a different address in the synthetic identity as they were using. And the beat went on from there. So she told me a lot of great information that we used right from the beginning, right in that investigation. It went directly to the police. And then we brought that to the front end in the fraud prevention queries and models that we're developing in order to identify additional activity with this particular, not only this dealership, but with all the other loans coming in regarding synthetic identities. Well, what an interesting term going out fake. I've never heard of that. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, as the prod uh, distributor said to the folks, I'm doing this as a service to the people, the <laughs> residents all need your fair share wow. out there. Well, Mark, I'm a public servant. <laughs> well, Mark, you and I both know me, the old, very brief fraud investigator, and you, the current fraud investigator, that there that these types of frauds are not victimless crimes. We are all victimized by these crimes because we all end up paying higher credit card rates and higher loan rates for all these people that are getting something for so-called free. Nothing is free. Absolutely. And if, you know, I'd like to talk about solutions in, an, in the upcoming segment because there are victims. This is not a victimless crime. Uh, the infants, the toddlers, the f folks under 18 years of age are being victimized with their compromised social security numbers using these particulars within this, the synthetic identity world. Well, fantastic. Let's do that Coming up, you're listening to Dr. Ron Martinelli, forensic criminologist, and my host is Mark Kasak, forensic fraud investigator on a thread of evidence. This is Dr. Ron Martinelli, forensic criminologist and host of A Thread of Evidence on America Out Loud. If you'd like to find out what forensic criminologists really do in the field, and you're tired of the false narratives about law enforcement and want to unpack the cases that I've worked throughout the nation, then please pick up a copy of my new book, The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police, on sale right now at Amazon.com. That's The Truth Behind the Black Lives Matter Movement and the War on Police at Amazon.com. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. 
Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Well, Mark, this is such an interesting topic about financial fraud and synthetic identity theft, and it's a little bit scary. So I'm sure that the people in our audience are trying to figure out Hey, what the heck do I do? So can you can you tell us and give us the big picture first about what kind of solutions are out there? What is law enforcement in the corporate world and people like you working on to try to stop this or mitigate this threat to everybody? And then can you tell us what we can do to protect ourselves? Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Ron. You know, um, House Bill 2155 that came out of the blue. We didn't know that this was coming, but the great Senator Scott of South Carolina on May 24th, 2018, had a bill out there that was ratified and signed into law in regards to protecting and curbing children's identity theft. And I said, boy, this is like, you know, be careful what you wish for. Thank you, Lord. It came. You know, this is fantastic. And we had some great information coming out. And I was in contact with one of my great contacts uh, with the SSA OIG, a special agent. And he was talking in regards to the, the section 215 of that bill, which said, okay, SSA, you are now tasked to create an online real life SSN verification database. And I said, oh, let my aching heart even be stiller. This is fantastic stuff. And we went forward from there. And continuing with that particular lobbying across the United States, and by the way, becoming a member of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators is where I'm an advisor to the executive board as well. A lot of folks from there were interested throughout the United States in doing exactly what we do, you and I do every day in forensic investigations. Well, Mark, so what happened sounds was, like you yeah. are at I'm sorry, but I just want to compliment mm-hmm. you. I mean yeah. you look at your it sounds like you're at a pretty high level uh in, in the forensic investigations community. So congratulations on that. Well, well, thank you so much. Uh, I started when I was five years old, and that's my uh, story, and that's what I'm going to stick to. But thank you, uh, Dr. Ron. And even without um, mentioning this to the attorneys general, the uh, the National Attorney General Association out of Washington, D.C., uh, they put out a letter. 37 attorneys general out of the 50 wrote a letter, signed it and made it addressed to Nancy A. Berryhill, the acting commissioner of the SSA, saying, here's this law in place, uh, acting director Berryhill. We want the SSA to create this database and get it real time. And by the way, Dr. Ron, the credit applicant has to authorize verification of their social security number. So that's a very important feature. And you can imagine if we've got a person with a synthetic identity coming into a large ticket item type loan platform, they may be deterred as well saying, oh, you know what? I don't really need that high ticket item. I'm out of here because they know they're going to be verified and they could be arrested immediately. We've had several cases like that take place in our testing prototypes in regards to this database. Excellent. So it's been fantastic situations. We're working with the uh, National Association of Attorneys General 
as well as with Senator Scott and uh, Congressman Crapo out of Oklahoma City, the fine state of Oklahoma, is also sponsoring this bill. It's a bipartisan activity. We don't get involved in politics in the forensic world, by the way. We just go after the fraudsters and service the community. The customer is the most important person for us. And again, uh, to your point earlier, Dr. Ron, when you said we're all paying for this type of fraud, and lo and behold, you are right on point. That was a great terminology out there because we are all paying for this and by the way we want to protect our children as much as we possibly can when they get their social security numbers and their identities compromised well how can they, how can you even imagine them going forward and trying to get a product and a loan product at the age of 18 maybe they're going for a student loan maybe well, they're know, going for, and, yeah. and that's right mark mm -hmm. because yeah. you know i think i think most of the people uh, in our audience in the United States, uh, they look at, at fraud, you know, because we watch all these things, you know, um, uh, you know, the different uh, anti-fraud uh, products that are out there, LifeLock and, and all mm -hmm. that thing. But all those commercials are all about adults. But, you know, what you're referring to is because there's, they're taking the credit card numbers of, of infants and small kids that all of a sudden this kid comes to maturity and tries to get out there like like he's going to college and he tries to get a product he <laughs> tries to buy something and all of a sudden he finds out oh my god i'm saddled with tens of thousands of dollars of debt i don't think people realize that that's absolutely true and it started back in 1987 dr ron by you know all shapes and forms of this particular fraud scheme because the IRS said to the taxpayers that, hey, if you want to use your children as a tax deduction, they must be identified with a Social Security number. That's when everything was, was kind of a little bit more innocent, if you will, back then. Right. And Social Security numbers were used at, at Librium. It was just liberty to use anything. Let's grab, grab a social. That's the identity. Unfortunately, the, the parents began using their children's Social Security numbers, and then it flourished into the epidemic that we're seeing today. Sure. So, Mark, take about a minute or so and, and give us a couple of tips on what we can do to protect ourselves. Here's the key. I have some some great family friends who a newborn baby they just got their social security number for the child make sure that it's monitored that they look at that they could even put a credit watch through the credit bureaus uh, all three of them will automatically put freezes on social security numbers and please look at everybody's information especially the kids number two before we take care of our kids we got to take care of ourselves so think about going to annualcreditreport.com and reviewing your credit bureaus, all three of them free of cost to make sure if there's any type of trade lines out there that you don't understand or that you didn't open, that you mitigate those and you remediate those as soon as possible. It's keeping attached to your life. And this is your credit profile, unfortunately, in these days. That's your life for the most part when you want to get a credit product. Mark, and then going back forward, that yeah, again. Give, yeah. give everybody mm -hmm. that URL again. Yeah. It's annualcreditreport.com. Okay. And it's so important for them to check. You have at least once a year, you can go and check that out. Anything that comes up, if something comes in the mail, 
I I was a victim of identity theft, and I wouldn't let that stand. I wouldn't. I was so infuriated, and we see that time and time again with claimants out there, legitimate claimants, by the way. So and those can are do things that for free, you know, right? They, they can, can do once do a that. year for free. Absolutely, or any other time they need it now, due to the recent uh, credit company breaches out there that we've all been right. attuned to. Yeah, right. absolutely. So moving forward. Other things that we talk about in regards to uh, what are some of the aspects of an investigator that wants to come into our field? Now, do they all have to be law enforcement agents? And, and by the way, I come from the law enforcement sector. I had like nine years in a local police department in suburban Chicagoland, and I moved into the banking fraud investigations world from there on and i haven't looked back ever since and i told you i started when i was what did i say five or six (laughs) yeah something like that but uh yes it it does help to have a law enforcement background but what if a person says you know i don't want to be a police officer or a detective or anything like that what can i do I strongly recommend they continue their college education and maybe get a degree in criminal justice or criminology, that type of uh, study, with also the cybercrime major as well entwined with that particular criminal justice makes them a very viable candidate. Because what we have seen out here, Dr. Ron, when folks have the coding experience where they can go and code SQL or any type of Oracle platform to go, to do queries out there, to l- use big data queries to uncover more issues. Like when I was indicating in my case study, when we reviewed more and more of the portfolio and all these loans began to emerge, well, that's how those things come about. And then we also say, can this investigator write a great summary report? So they should be a good, not a college English major. They could, that would help, but a very good, learned, grammatical writer that can be concise and say what they mean and back it up with factual information. And then finally, if they speak a foreign language, like I'm fluent in Spanish. I That's my hobby. I love to speak Spanish. Uh, we've had people come in. I said, I need some Mandarin. I need Polish. I need Korean. I even had a, a Greek person. When you loan, least expect it, in an investigation, we've got some resources available to us. So that always helps and puts that uh, person up to the front of the list to become hired. And also during that time frame to get an internship within the firm that they're interested in, in that type of industry to become the investigator. It's very important that they do that. And then finally, the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators, which I'm a proponent of, where all the resources and training can be available on the current patterns and other training that public sector and private sector industry folks receive each and every day that's available to them. Well, you know, I, uh, those are all excellent tips. And let me throw one other thing in there. And you alluded it to, uh, to it with one of your case histories, and that is interviewing skills. And yes. a lot of the, the young men and women these days uh, need to have more interpersonal contact with people they they need that you know they're too much on the computers too much on their cell phones and texting they need to learn uh, a little bit about people and learn how to do things like talking with people and then from there 
get some training in, you know, things like cognitive behavioral interviewing, kinesic interviewing, some of the things that professionals like you and me, some of us old war dogs, uh, you know, like you called it a gumshoe, all of that <laughs> is extremely important. I mean, you can have the computer skills, which are absolutely uh, necessary these days and obviously the linguistic skills because we do have a lot of frauds uh, being uh, you know committed by people with international backgrounds where English may not be their primary language and but the most important thing is being able to sit down and have a discussion a conversation that's not doesn't come across like some television interrogation and that's how you get people to open up and talk with us you know that's a it's a fantastic point dr ron you just hit hit it right on the head don't watch tv folks you know there's very few tv shows out there that i would even subscribe to to say that they really know what they're talking about it's all made for tv scripted stuff you know, it's but, so funny that you mentioned yeah. that. You know, I do <laughs> I do a little technical advising for some of the CSI shows, and I keep mm -hmm. telling those directors, look, you know, I tell people, I go, look, it's about 85% of it is uh, just malarkey. Okay, we don't do that in CSI, in forensic investigations. And actually, some of the stuff we do is far more exciting and interesting than what they would ever see on TV. You know, so the world is the world in forensic investigations is absolutely blossoming and uh, you don't have to be uh, a law enforcement officer. You don't have to go to the academy. You don't have to be a detective. So some of the people that uh, don't want to do that, that kind of shy away from that. Believe me, there are plenty of career paths. Uh, in forensics and forensic investigations. And the one that you've chosen, uh, Mark, is you know, has just been so interesting for me to hear about because it's leaps and bounds above what I learned as a fraud and guest investigator. Look, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your private practice and some of the services that you offer, and then let's make sure people know how to get a hold of forensic investigator Mark Kasak. Hey, thanks so much, Dr. Ron, and I really appreciate all the great information. I've learned so much from you in regards to this program as well, of us on our conversation. But I'm MGK, Forensic Consultants and Investigations. You can reach me at investigations.mgk at gmail.com. And my direct line is 949-735-5686. And I promise to return anyone's messages a client out there is the most important person and i don't let these things fester and just go to the wayside i'm a communicator as dr ron was indicating in regards to our forensic interviewing but we offer a very uh general host of services and assessments as well i i say forensic assessments are so important as well but let's start off with some of the more important things that I get involved in industry, and that's conducting internal fraud and corporate espionage investigations. There's all kinds of activity where people are stealing from within and coming in from third-party vendors and stealing from without. Third-party, first-party, complex third-party and first-party fraud investigations that really hit the bottom line in regards to a firm. There's no doubt about those. 
and complex investigations leading into structured and transaction monitoring like anti-money laundering and also policy creation and procedures. And keeping in mind, the big thing at this time that I promote to my clients is strategic planning. The long-term planning, not just the short-term goal or project, let's get the anti-money laundering practice, let's get the fraud prevention and the fraud investigation under one umbrella, which has been the trend in the industry that uh, is entitled financial intelligence units. In many of the large financial institutions, other firms that offer money services are actively engaged in that activity. And with fraud prevention, we have data analytics. We've got those coders out there, as I described, SQL, Oracle, SAS, whatever it might be, and to understand anti-fraud controls and also create those models and queries so we can keep ahead as much as possible. And I say ahead, but at least let's level out and balance these activities because the fraudsters are always preparing to go that next step because that's what they do for a living. Mark, and let's yeah. let's mm -hmm. have you give out your information as we close one yes, more sir. time. How do people get a hold of Mark Kasak? Yep, MGK Forensic Consultants and Investigations at investigations.mgk at gmail.com, 949-735-5686. And I'll get right back to you. I'm here to help and serve in any way I can. Well, this has been an incredible conversation. I learned so much tonight. And you're listening to Dr. Ron Martinelli, Forensic Criminologist, with my host, Mark Kasak. You're listening to A Thread of Evidence on America Out Loud.